The following program deals with a controversial subject. The theories expressed are not the only possible interpretation. Viewers are invited to make a judgment based on all available information. This is your captain speaking. We are beginning our descent into madness. Back to another edition of Wednesday the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late for some of you, but we got another, if you can believe it, another exciting show. Yeah, tonight. within like three hours of each other. <laughs> it's been a crazy day. Genevieve, how are you doing? I'm doing quite all right. How are you tonight? Um, I'm I'm recovering from that Psyched last, <laughs> last interview that, that we did. It was amazing. And right now, we have another amazing guest that Genevieve, if you will be so kind to introduce, the floor is all yours. All right, so Lynn, Lynn Campbell, had been a Scientologist for quite a number of years, having been introduced to Scientology by her aunt at quite a young age. She was given a book and, you know, Lynn told her she was into fairy tales, so that that's how she started reading her first book. She was actually part of the Sea Org, Sea Organization, for those who don't know, for nine months, and was one of the highest ranking auditors there working very closely with L. Ron Hubbard himself for a period of time. Um, so, you know, she was around the time when Hubbard was still in charge and was there to witness that transition between Hubbard's and David Miscavige's ruling. Lynn has deep inside knowledge of how Scientology operates and is here to give us you know, the lowdown and a true insight into this quite extraordinary world. And honestly, on top of that all, she is one of the nicest, sweetest, calmest persons I've ever met. So I'm truly honored to be able to welcome Lynn Campbell into the show. And due to some recording glitches, we lost the first few minutes of our interview, but luckily, most of it was recorded, and now we present it to you for your listening pleasure. So grab a drink, grab a snack, sit back, and enjoy this amazing interview with former Scientologist turned activist Lynn Campbell. With his family, and I, I was just, oh, it, it was just the most wonderful thing, I thought, to see L. Ron Hubbard in person. So, yeah, that was when I first saw him. And then after that... There was a, um, during the move between the ship and the land base, we had an interim place where we were that was uh, Daytona Beach, Florida. And at that time, he was doing a Scientology uh, research project, and, and he wanted, he picked some auditors to uh, do the, this research auditing for him, and he picked seven auditors. And I was one of the ones that he picked. Okay. And real quick for the people joining us, we're talking to uh, Lynn Campbell, uh, former Scientologist, former Sea Org member, and uh, current activist. It's a, it's a fascinating interview. We're going over how she was introduced to Scientology, how she joined Scientology, and how um, eventually she she got to meet L. Ron Hubbard. Now, when you were... Um, in this boat, you know, L. Ron Hubbard is, is such a strange figure. Was he 
Uh, how do Scientologists view him when he was still alive? Was was it something like a messiah or or a spiritual leader, a guru? What what was the uh, uh, the sentiment in regards to L. Ron Hubbard for Scientologists? They practically worship the man. I think you have to be um, a little bit removed from where he actually is to put him up on a pedestal because the closer you are to him, the more you realize he's fallible. Um, but most Scientologists don't get that close and so they practically worship him. They think he knows everything about everything. and uh, You know, that uh, some people, even after they leave the church, still mm -hmm. have this idea. Wow. Now, how long were you in Sea Org for? Um, the whole experience lasted just a, just about a year. Um, okay. That, yeah, just about. And what were some of your duties while you were uh, a member of the Sea Org? Well, I was mostly auditing. It was my job to um, get to be as as high in the uh, on the auditing side of the so-called bridge to total freedom as possible. Mm -hmm. And when you are at FLAG, the idea is to get to be a perfect auditor. And so you just work on that day in and day out. And I'd like to know, because obviously a big turning point in, in this organization was the introduction of David Miscavige. And what what was he changing so much and what was it that people didn't like about his methods and his his current methods? Well, the thing that I noticed since I was an auditor mm -hmm. was that he was actually changing the technology. He was changing basic definitions of things and people would get all up in arms about that and then go to the qualifications division and if they were like me they would get talked out of it and and go back to business as usual mm -hmm. but at this point then there was not i mean there was no going back to business as usual if you're going to change basic definitions so that yeah. was a, a big a big sea change now how long after you were in sea or that l ron hubbard uh pass away it was about 10 or 11 years after that. And up until this point, did Scientology still make sense to you? Was every, I mean, you say that here and there certain things would bring the, uh, the alarm for you, and then you would try to rationalize it. But for most of this time, were you happy being there? Did you, did you feel like you were doing something good for, for, for the planet? Yes, I thought I was because um, my pre-clears or the people that I was auditing mm -hmm. would tell me that it uh, it was helping them. And so I would spend as much time in my auditing room as possible because there things made sense. If I spent too much time outside in the other parts of the organization, things didn't make 
sense. No, <laughs> so, I, I get you. And that you. was uncomfortable for me. You know, I, I wanted to believe it was good. So I, I just stayed in there, and I was in a bubble most of the time that I was there. And, and it was it was happy, you know. I was right. helping people. And while you were there, did you have family uh, who were also members of uh, Scientology? Well, my mother and my aunt were still in mm-hmm. until they passed away. Oh, um, a few years ago, my aunt died uh, earlier, and then my mother died oh, about 12, 13 years ago. And so I didn't have anybody who was deeply in. My sister had done a few things early, but she um, had left years before that, and she was pursuing other, you know, work and yeah. things like that so she was not in and so I didn't have the burden of disconnection like some people have because my my folks were already gone I see uh, real quick why don't you tell people uh, what is disconnection disconnection is when you have to not talk to people who are suppressive people mm-hmm. suppressive people are the ones who have woken up and they're not um, in agreement anymore with some of the things in Scientology to the point where they have to be isolated so that they don't uh, uh, get other people mm-hmm. disaffected. So that's the the, uh, the logic behind disconnection from the church's point of view, but it's very hard on families when somebody is, you know, like Sarah Goldberg in the, in the film, mm-hmm. when she she actually had to choose between her son and her daughter. Right. And that just tears families apart. No, it's horrible. It really is. It's it, it's. I can't put into words how, how you know horrible some of these stories are. Uh, another uh, question here in the chat room, real quick, uh, Lynn. Uh, the question is: If you can uh, just ask why, so why did you uh, believe in this, and what is there to gain by believing in Scientology? Well, that goes back to how they get people in in the first place. Okay. The first thing they'll ask you once they've made contact is, what's ruining your life? Mm. And whatever you say is ruining your life, their answer is, Scientology can handle that. Mm-hmm. So you want to believe that whatever is ruining your life can be handled. Wow. And so you, you, go, you go for a long, long time going on hoping that this thing is going to get handled. My ruin mm-hmm. my ruin was I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Mm-hmm. But then when I saw what my aunt could do, she was an auditor too, and she helped people. Yeah. And when I saw what she could do, I said, oh, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. that, uh, and I was getting that. I was getting that. So... That's why I stayed in so long. I guess in summary, and I I hear this from a lot of people, you know, from all standings in life, Scientology, what it offers is to fulfill your dreams in exchange for your time and money. And essentially as much time and money as you can give. But what they offer is fulfillment of everything you've ever wanted, correct? that's what they say they're gonna do for yeah and i honestly i mean if that's what's put out in front of you you know like 
that's what's given to you on a platter, I can understand why people find it attractive. Yes, that That's what people exactly. want in life. Mm -hmm. And it's whatever you say you want. Mm -hmm. If you're getting where near that, that's why you stay in. Yeah. And if you're not getting it, but you're maybe hoping to still get it, you'll stay in. Yeah. Wow. It's the hope. Always. Mm -hmm. And when yeah. did Scientology, because more or less is modern day Scientology, if I may use the term, but when did Scientology become so infatuated with celebrity um, endorsements, if you will? Well, that was one thing that L. Ron Hubbard had as his game plan to get Scientology broadly disseminated. Mm -hmm. He wanted celebrity endorsements. And so he um, established the Celebrity Center with Yvonne Gensch. She was Yvonne Gillum back then, but then she became Yvonne Gensch when she married Heber, who's the president of the church, or was. And she established the Celebrity Center, and she was a very charismatic person, and she had the ability to just charm people. Mm -hmm. And she's located in Hollywood, and she maybe had a few connections. I'm not sure exactly how she did it. Mm -hmm. um, I have a friend who worked very closely with her uh, to establish the place, and that's what they would do. They would get in, into, um, I guess they would schmooze people in Hollywood, industry people, and, and uh, aspiring actors, you know, yeah. of course, that's what ruining their lives if they couldn't make it as actors. Oh, well, Scientology can handle that. So that, you know, they ended up being a place where aspiring actors would go so that they could rub elbows with industry people in Hollywood. Wow. So it was it was all planned to to function in this way, pretty much. Yeah. Now, we obviously know about Tom Cruise and John Travolta, you know, they're they're world-famous actors, mem Scientology members, and it seems, you know, whenever they have the opportunity, they have nothing but these great things to say about Scientology. Is it, is it safe to say that there are two sides to the Scientology coin? The, the side that, you know, somebody coming into it will see and they'll have to go through all these steps and buy all these books and and climb up this, uh, what, what do they call it, the bridge? or The bridge to total freedom. The bridge to total freedom. And then there's the other side that, say, Tom Cruise or John Travolta sees, which is, uh, you know, this side of just, uh, you know, benefits after benefits after benefits of being a Scientologist. Is, is that fair to say? Yes, there's, there's a two, um, there's a double standard, let's say that. Okay. And I guess it's, it, I mean, it's really interesting that, that, a church will do this, which, you know, I'm not going to get into all the, <laughs> I, I know a lot of people have uh, opinions as far as organized religion and, and they're entitled to that and, and, and there's very valid arguments to it. But Scientology that claims to try and help people and do this, I mean, that 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 is a, a bit strange, right? That depending on your financial situation, I guess you can say, um, the, you know, that will determine what experience you have as a member of Scientology. Yes, exactly. I I couldn't figure it out for a long time, but then, then I finally realized all these people that are going really, really fast on, up, up the bridge to total freedom, 
well, they've got money. They put mm-hmm. down a bunch of money. And mm-hmm. so they have to be made to win so that they keep giving money. Mm-hmm. Now, let's uh, jump to, you know, when L. Ron Hover passed away. That was in 1986? Six, yeah. 1986. L. Ron Hubbard passes away, and this this young guy, uh, David Miscavige, did he just like appear out of nowhere, or had he been a prominent figure in Scientology? I mean, did you know about him? You know, while L. Ron Hubbard was still alive, was he like L. Ron Hubbard's favorite or something like that? I had never heard of him. Prior to or heard of him before. Prior to the time when he walked out on the stage and gave that Mm -hmm. explanation about how why L. Ron Hubbard wasn't around anymore. That was the first time I ever saw him or heard of him. When L. Ron Hubbard uh, passed away, was was there a memo that got passed around to all the Scientology centers? Did everybody hear about it when it happened? Or was that the first time that people knew that L. Ron Hubbard had died? That was the formal official announcement. And um, not much else was said about it that, because we were supposed to believe that he was somewhere else operating without a body mm-hmm. but that we were supposed to keep going and you know keep the show on the road with how the the uh the saying went we and that was what we were supposed to do and that's what ron would want so we were supposed to keep the show on the road uh now what with uh um sorry and i'm i'm trying to <laughs> we just got this strange tweet and it's by an account uh, and this is real this this show is live. This is in real time. Just we just got a really strange tweet by at Ethics of Freedom. It says it's a picture of I believe is it half of the picture is David Miscavige and the other half is Tom Cruise. And the tweet says, "Actors, your favorite website to get cast for Scientology commercials is hashtag Going Clear at WTR Radio. Great show." Please more on actor recruitment. Actor recruitment. I uh, I'm not we're, sure. We're gonna. We're, we have to go to break really quick. But can we talk about that uh, when we come back, Lynn? Do, if if you happen to know uh, anything about how they get these actors, uh, I know we kind of touched on it briefly. As we said, you know, they they seem to get all the perks while you know everybody else has to work and spend a ton of money to climb up this ladder but lynn is it okay if we take a break and when we come back if you have any knowledge as to you know how they get these actors in uh it would be it would be interesting to to discuss that and obviously our show was the rockies is your favorite website to get cast for a Scientology commercial. That's what we do in our spare time. Sorry, Lynn. Th- I, this, this was all a prank. I think someone I think someone did not read our our posts and articles correctly. But, but we're hey, happy with the promotion. I'm glad that they are tuning in. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but Lynn, if that's it, that's okay with you. Uh, just hang on the line. We're gonna play like a, you know uh, one or two songs, and then we're gonna come back. Um, uh, so if you if you'd be so kind, can can I just uh, have you hold on the line for a, for a few minutes? Yes. Okay, great. So we're gonna come back to Lynn here in just a few. 
This is West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Genevieve's here. I'm here. Len Campbell, former Scientologist, former Sea Org member, and current activist against Scientology is uh, is our guest tonight. Shout out to everybody in the chat room. I hope everybody's having a, a good time. This is a very, very fascinating interview. So uh, stick around. We could probably keep this conversation going all night long. So here's uh, Mary Jane Girls with All Night Long. West of the Rockies, Independent FM. Here we go. What's up, guys? This is Jorge Diaz of Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones. And you're listening to West of the Rockies with Frank. This portion of the show is sponsored by Haunted Orange County, your premier source for all things haunted in and around OC. From haunted history ghost walks to ghost group hunting expeditions at some of SoCal's most haunted destinations. Make your fall plans early and book an upcoming tour or investigation today. Visit hauntedoc.com. Second hour of the Rockies, as um, our good buddy Dave Navarro sang there. Shout out to <laughs> Dave, great guy, love the guy. Um, uh, and Jorge Diaz, Paranormal Activity. This segment brought to you by Hunter Orange County. Correct. Shout out to our good buddy Ernie Alonso. Check out hunterorangecounty.com. New event coming up. New, new, new event. Crazy event coming Face up. Face your fears with none other than. Chad Lindbergh of Fast and the Furious, Supernatural, I Spit on Your Grave fame. Uh, he's going to be there. If you're going to be in the uh, uh, Southern California area, definitely check it out. Uh, grab it. your tickets. Yeah, do Google it. Google it or check it out on hauntedoc.com, mm -hmm. I believe. That's anyway, right. back to Lynn Campbell. We are here live with everyone on West Rockies. Lynn, can you hear us okay? Yes. Can hear you. Awesome. Thank you for, for uh, uh, staying here with us. Uh, now, we, we, we got a, a, a couple of other tweets from uh, this uh, account, Ethics of Freedom. You can find them at Ethics to Freedom. Um, they want to know about how the Church of Scientology, how they recruit actors, and they tweeted us a link to, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, uh, Lynn, if, if that's okay. Uh, there is a petition to our President Barack Obama to revoke Scientology's tax-exempt status. And we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But why don't you tell us a little bit about, did, did you ever, were you ever around or did you ever see or hear about actors that were being recruited to uh, Scientology? Well, I did do a few courses at the Celebrity Center. And to people who are not already actors, mm -hmm. they recruit you at just the same way as they recruit everybody else. If they, if you say, when they ask you what's ruining your life and you say, I want to break into Hollywood, I want to be famous, they say, well, Scientology can handle that. They'll tell you anything, anything mm -hmm. that you want. They'll tell you you can get it through Scientology. Now, wow. whether they actually deliver that on that or not, I do not know. 
From what I've heard, there's a lot of people that come to L.A. to try and jumpstart their acting career or their musical career or what have you. But in the case of actors, it seems that uh, from what I've read, they'll answer, you know, uh, to a casting call and they'll show up. And it turns out that it's a casting call for a Scientology video. Mm -hmm. And in the process, they they get presented with all this information and uh uh, as as it was the case with one young man, and I, I believe that you had the uh, pleasure of meeting him, uh, Stephen Mango. Uh, I remember watching a, a video where he talks about his experiences. The way that he was pulled into Scientology was that he was told that Scientology could help him, you know, achieve uh, his goals. Yeah, you know, to be an actor. Star, you know, yeah. that they had a lot of actors, and obviously Tom Cruise and John Travolta and all these, Will Smith, you know, yeah, yeah. A list uh, celebrities. And it, it it's it's almost scary uh, how they try to reel people in. Yes, it it is. That's what they do. They they I mean, that's the whole purpose of recruiting celebrities is so that they can get a face mm -hmm. to be their poster child so that other people will follow and, and maybe join just because this person is in Scientology. Now, while you were a member of Scientology, did you ever visit the uh, Celebrity Center, which is lo located in Hollywood? I mean, not too far from the, the I guess, Scientology headquarters, the big blue building. Yes, I, I went there several times, and I did a few courses there mm -hmm. until they changed their policy. They changed the policy to um, to say that you can't do courses at Celebrity Center unless you're actually a celebrity. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And so that meant that anybody who just wanted to do a course or two couldn't couldn't go anymore. But by that time, I was not doing courses anymore. Uh, and, you know, I, um, I had a good buddy of mine who used to have an apartment right, you know, across the, the little street <laughs> there, uh, uh, from the, uh, Scientology Celebrity Center. And he would tell me about every so often at night, they would have these very extravagant affairs. I mean, obviously he wasn't inside, but, you know, his apartment was literally, you know, just a few feet away. You know, it seems like they, they definitely make everything possible to have their celebrities <laughs> feel at home. Uh, did you ever attend any of these uh, events that they had at the Celebrity Center? No. Um, years ago, there was one where they were going after politicians and governors. They, they wanted um, governors, especially black governors um johnny ford i think he i think he was a governor of one of the southern states and so they had all the black scientologists that they could muster mm. to have a reception for these governors um, oh wow and so i went to that and so that was one of the celebrity center events that i did go to that is really interesting and actually fits with the the next couple of comments i'm seeing in the chat room real quick here uh, Professor Madness is asking, is there a racial stereotype in Scientology? And Jennifer Wilcott says, oh, good question. I mean, mostly you only see white people in terms of the non-rich. What can you tell me about that? Is, you know, I hate to, 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 uh, bring a, a racial issue here, but 
is, is there some kind of racial divide of sorts in, in within the church? Yes, there is. Okay. They'll say that there isn't. Mm-hmm. They'll say things like, oh, a Satan doesn't have a, co- a color. We are not prejudiced because Satans don't have colors. Mm. But L. Ron Hubbard himself was a racist. He put down, he put out a policy called a message to colored people. Wow. And this was long after we were colored people. This was like wow. in, in pre-1950s, we, we were colored, but after that we were Negroes, and then after that we were black, and then after that we were African-American. Well, he never made the, the, the adjustment. We were all still colored people. That is literally outrageous. I cannot believe that. Uh, I, I don't even know where to go well, after this. I, I can't say Elron Hubbard was a very modern type of person True. in certain ways. In certain ways. True. So, you know. I, I guess. It just it, it boggles, and it boggles you, my mind. I remember he wrote I know, this stuff. I know. Not in the modern day. It was a few years but back. But it, it's just hard not to feel outraged at it. But, okay. So there was definitely, yeah. Okay. So there were further divisions within the church, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, exactly. Jennifer Wilka is asking, uh, did you experience, well, I'm paraphrasing. This is my own interpretation of the question. Her question is sexism in the church. My question is, did you ex- see or experience any kind of sexism within the, the Church of Scientology? Um, I did not experience it. I understand that it was, it was there. Mm-hmm. Things that I have read from other uh, people mm-hmm. who have told about how it is at the international base, there is a... the the upper echelons that are male get better or used to get better sleeping quarters than the ones that were female. Um, so, I have a question just, I've always wondered, how do uh, personal romantic relationships work within the church and are they, you know, are they um, planned and prescripted like in, like in many other religions? Uh, no, except in the Sea Org, you cannot have sex outside of marriage. So in order to even, you know, if you're holding hands or looking deeply into somebody's eyes, mm-hmm. somebody is very likely to write up a knowledge report on you saying that you are having a an illicit uh, 2D, that's what they call the sex, sex dynamic, Okay. Uh, illicit sexual uh, 2D relationship with somebody. And you're just holding hands. There's no dating in the Sea Org. Okay, so that that counts as something illicit. Holding hands or looking into someone's eyes potentially romantically. Yes. So that that's not allowed. No. You have to get married. Which explains why there's so many mar- um, divorces. Yeah. Because in order to just do a, a basic dating yes you have to get you have to marry the person and then you find out it's not going to work so you have to get a divorce <laughs> and and how do and they then, approach divorce is is it allowed freely yes they do but um it's 
it's handled it's all handled by I think uh the legal department of the Office of Special Affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh you're not supposed to have your attention on the all of this distracting stuff. Yeah. So if you say you want to get a divorce, you have to put in the request and it goes up to the uh, Office of Special Affairs, and then they do all the paperwork, and then you get the the word back. Okay, you're no longer married. Mm-hmm. A related question in a chat room from um, Jennifer is, what's the reasoning for this abstinence? You know, in in different religions such as Christianity, Catholicism, they have certain you know strict reasons. What was Elron Hubbard's reason? Well, all it all goes back in Scientology to PR. Okay. Back in the 70s, there was a lot of this, um, you know, all of these illicit things going on. Mm-hmm. And this was before all those rules came out. Before that, the, the rule that I was just talking about, before that came out, the only rule that I ever heard of was that as long as nobody is getting hurt and it was consenting adults, it was mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. And then suddenly um, somebody got wind of all of this free love type stuff that was going on up there. Mm-hmm. And it became what they call a PR flap. Okay. So there had to be rules made. Yeah. So oh, no. that's how rules started getting made. But it so seems have out bad PR. It, it seems like it started off pretty freely and honestly the the religion, you know, Scientology didn't seem you know, the way you you're explaining it and the way you were introduced to it is nowhere near the image that we are seeing right now of Scientology. Exactly. It when Elron Hubbard was the head of the church, there was a certain internal logic to things. Mm-hmm. He would have a, a policy that would explain, oh, what, why he was doing things and what the policy was and the reasons for it and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it would seem to make sense. Until if you studied it long enough, you would find that it contradicted some other policy. Mm -hmm. And then that would be one of the things that I would have to go to the qual division for. (laughs) And, um, you know, and then once I found, you know, once I found one too many of these contradictions, I was out of there. When L. Ron Hubbard died and uh, David Miscavige took over, this changing of the guard seemed to have caused a lot of uh, uh, confusion with within the church. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What was what was so different that it made um, uh, some people leave, and it, it was almost like a restructuring? I know that David Miscavige is famously quoted as saying that he he ushered in a, a quote unquote new age of tech. Uh, well, well, it was a golden age. That's what he called it. Or the golden age of tech. Yeah. So what were some of the major changes under Miss Cabbage's uh, leadership? Well, this was years after L. Ron Hubbard died. Um, after, at you know, just at the point where he died, Miss mm-hmm. Cabbage had to do a lot of um, 
jockeying for position to solidify his base. Mm -hmm. And once that was done, then he set about changing things, mm -hmm. like the basic definitions of things. One of the things that L. Ron Hubbard said is that you don't change any of the technology. He says, I have done a tremendous amount of research, and I found that it's this way, and so you don't change it. Mm -hmm. And um, David Miscavige started changing it. Um, one of the things he changed was the definition, I, I don't know, this is going to get kind of geeky mm -hmm. te technically, the, the definition of a floating needle. A floating needle is one of the indications that you use that it's time to stop the process because the preclear is having a win or is about to have a win. Mm -hmm. And so you just let him have his win and you end the session. Well, David Miscavige changed the definition of a floating needle. So I'm surmising that mm -hmm. that was so that people would have to stay in the church longer. Mm -hmm. To reach their end phenomena, so he could hang on to people wow. more, you know, you know. But the definition of a floating needle—that mm -hmm. was basic, and just people who were technically trained and people who were auditors—they mm -hmm. just didn't stand for that. They, you know, that's when a lot of people left. And I believe that that's when um, uh, reading the article that 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 was one of the things that you told your. Um I think it was your auditor, correct, that, that you felt like you had it right the first time because there were all these new changes being made. And that was roughly the time where you exit Scientology, correct? Um, yes. I was trying to do my golden age of tech like a good little Scientologist. Mm -hmm. And part of it was that you had to do these clay table sessions and I would do my clay table session and I would, you know, it would be, I feel good about it. Mm -hmm. And then after every session, whether it's clay table or a regular session, mm -hmm. you have to go to the examiner and the examiner will check to see if you have a floating needle. Mm -hmm. I never had a floating needle because the way they were measuring whether I had a floating needle or not was by this new definition. Mm -hmm. And so they would just stare at the meter to see if they they could get it to look like a floating needle. And by the time they, they would stare and stare and stare, if I had had a floating needle, it would have been gone. Mm -hmm. So um, then every time I would go there and not have a floating needle, I would have to get what they would call a review session. Mm. Now, in a review session, they go down a list of things that could possibly be wrong. And one of the things that could possibly be wrong was an unnecessary action. I didn't come up with this on my own accord. Unnecessary action is what they got a reaction on on the meter. And so I said, oh, yeah, there is an unnecessary action. I think the whole golden age of tech is unnecessary because I think I got it right the first time. And... I felt really good about that because, of course, it is an unnecessary action if you want to keep Scientology working. <laughs> you, right. You're supposed to do it the way it was done the first time. So I was just not going to be allowed to have a thought like that. Wow. So they had to send me to ethics so I could get my reality adjusted. We're, we're, we're going to talk about uh, ethics because that that is another thing that, that I was – 
uh, looking forward to getting into because it's really interesting. But I um, believe we have a question. Yes, there was a question from a few minutes ago while we were talking about marriage and marriage before, you know, holding hands. And um, I believe it was, you know, Jennifer Wilcott was wondering, is divorce frowned upon like it is in religions such as Christianity, Christianity, you know, Catholicism? No, I don't think it is. Otherwise, they would, they wouldn't be, you know, there's so many divorces going mm -hmm. on. They just don't publicize it. It's all a matter of PR. Everything goes back to PR. Okay. They just want to keep divorces quiet so right. that the divorce rate in Scientology doesn't become uh, a PR flap. Yeah. You know, now we're, we're in the age, if I may. If I may use the term, we're in the age of miscavige uh, with uh, the Church of Scientology. Um, I was reading in the article that you were put in isolation for uh, four months. Is is that correct? Yes. Was that was this under the miscavige leadership? No, that was L. Ron Hubbard. Really, and what got you in isolation? Well, I finally decided that I wanted to leave the Sea Org. This was back, you know, mm -hmm. back when I was first mm -hmm. on the ship. Okay. And then we moved to the land base, and then um, it, things got grim, and I, I said, well, I went to ethics, and I said, I would like to leave. Can you put me on the proper routing form? Mm -hmm. And he, he left the room, and he said, wait right here. And okay. when he came back, there were these two large guys, and they said, come with us. And so they escorted me to a room, and they locked me in a room. Well, then way, way later, I find out that there is this policy that says anybody who asks to leave mm -hmm. is, by definition, insane. Yeah. And the, mm -hmm. the handling for an insane person is that you give them an introspection rundown. Mm -hmm. So they locked me up in isolation, which is supposedly part of the rundown. Mm -hmm. And I had to stay in isolation until um, my introspection rundown was completed. Mm -hmm. What 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 does being in isolation entail exactly? Is it like prison isolation? Are you literally in a room um, devoid of, you know, any kind of like... Well, in prison, they call it yard time, but you know, I haven't been to prison, by the way, Lynn. But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, they're allowed like an hour of like yard time, et cetera, et cetera. Was that the type of isolation you were subject to? Were you given a meal, you know, a couple of times a day and not allowed to talk to anybody and stayed in a room for the most of the day? Well, the, the, um, the thing that is supposed to be happening is that I'm supposed to be decompressing, um, destimulating, and I'm supposed to not talk to anybody and nobody's supposed to talk to me so that I can destimulate. And I'm not allowed out of the room. Mm -hmm. Nobody's allowed to talk to me. And I have to, I can't even go out for meals. I have to wait for them to bring food to me. And sometimes, frankly, they would forget. Oh, my God. And because that was my question. I was like, how often were your uh, meals delivered? Whenever somebody thought of it. And I, and I guess they're doing this in, in the skies of something that's meant to be therapeutic and kind of rid you of certain things and purify you and 
Is that the the? I guess that, that is the reason. Yeah. Yes, that's what they say. It is. Before um, the show tonight, I was talking to my parents and I was telling them, you know, that I. I was going to interview you, and I was telling them about some of the things that we discussed when when we we met on uh, on Saturday, and they were just telling me, you know, how why doesn't the government do anything? How can they get away with this? Lynn, can you can you answer that question for for the people listening at home? And shout out to my parents, by the way. <laughs> But how how can the Church of Scientology get away with what? normally will would be classified as human right abuses that is a really good question and i wish i knew the definitive answer from what i've read of the court cases that are going on the judges back down because they can't touch a religion because it's a first amendment um they have the protection of the first amendment being um recognized as a religion and having tax exempt status from the IRS. So that's how they get away with it and since the tax exempt status has been granted, it has not been reviewed by the IRS even though there are all these obvious violations mm -hmm. of uh the rules for what a tax exempt organization ought to be. And Uh, you know that's mm -hmm. it's a catch twenty two. You can't you can't say they're a religion and then prosecute them for human rights violations because what they Scientologists always say is, well, it's a part of our scripture. You right. know, all of these things are a part of their scripture and it's a part of their beliefs. Well, nobody's arguing with them about their beliefs. They can believe whatever they want to, mm -hmm. but they can't do those things that they are doing. And without some kind of um, comeuppance, the chickens are going to come home to roost one of these days. And they don't seem to realize that. They think that their money can buy them out of anything. Okay. And I think we have another question in the chat room. And um, Professor Madness, he says that, you know, he's, he has a certain number of problems. He's diagnosed with um, major depression, anxiety, and social anxiety. So he's putting himself in a, you know, in a thought experiment. Yeah. Like and a guinea pig yes, of sorts. He's, he's asking if he were to, I guess, enter a Scientology building and say, you know, I, I have certain um, emotional problems. How can Scientology help me? What would a Scientologist say? Um, one who is trained to get people in will say, Scientology can handle that and come with me. Mm -hmm. But somebody who is a little bit better trained would say, oh, I'm sorry, um, we can't help you. They would call him an illegal pre-clear because okay. he had had sight, uh, A, a psych history that's what they call it they would say that they that he has a history of going to psychologists or psychiatrists mm -hmm. and so that they would not be able to help him because in the early days they would have um a lot of trouble with uh psychologists and psychiatrists uh who would um actually call them out on some of their unethical practices because they yeah. had messed right. up 
of people. They uh, actually back off from that, and they don't they don't take people that they suspect of having been sent there okay. by psychologists to you know mm-hmm. to mess. Wow. Okay, I guess because they've had experience in psychological, mm-hmm. um, psychiatric treatment, and they don't want that tied into Scientology, correct? That's what they say. Okay. Um, what is the what is the, the the problem with Scientology and and psychology? Um. I think it goes back to L. Ron Hubbard and mm-hmm. his mental state. Uh, was he? Uh, what kind of person was he? You you had a chance to meet him. Were you kind of in that euphoric, you know, state of like, wow, I'm a Scientologist and this is, you know, the the man that the one guiding us through all of this, or were you seeing him through a different lens? Uh, what was your impression of L. Ron Hubbard? Was he a trouble man? Was he, uh, you know, a happy guy enjoying his time doing this? What What was he like? Um, I was in that still euphoric state, mm-hmm. and he did have a charismatic quality about him. Um, he was a good storyteller, and he had a a, a way of, you know. He could be happy when mm-hmm. it suited him, and when he had to have uh, put a public face on, mm-hmm. he was very impressive. And so that's what I saw of him. And uh, also, that that was during the time when they were making most of their money by selling actual auditing. And so he wanted to put a, a nice face on for auditors, and that was mm. what I was. Obviously, a lot of the, the, the things that Scientology does, and, you know, they they can do these things without any uh, oversight, is because of the fact that they received, you know, a tax-exempt status as a religious organization. They are, they are recognized as a church. Why don't you tell me a little bit uh, about that period of time in Scientology? We we saw in the documentary uh, that um, David Miscavige put on a, quite quite the battle to get Scientology uh, recognized as a religion, and we saw that clip in that same documentary where he uh, turns to this you know huge portrait of L. Ron Hubbard and you know salutes him in this very military way and says you know like it's done or. Something along those lines. Uh, yeah, done. What can you tell me a bit, uh, um, about that time in Scientology? It seems like this was something that was ongoing, and that was the reason why L. Ron Hubbard was on this boat, uh, you know, with the Sea Org, uh, trying to avoid all these, you know, tax bills. Um, what was it like? Were you around for that celebration of, you know, wow, Scientology got recognized as a religion by the government? Yes, I was there. I was at that event. Oh, really? Sitting up in the yeah, I was there. Can you tell me a little? Can you take us back to that? What what was it like? Well, everybody was very very happy about it, and he had people. People had flown in from several different countries, and they had their flags, and they were waving their flags mm-hmm. from all of these different countries, and it looked like Scientology was global, and and uh, all of these people were you know, celebrating mm-hmm. their tax-exempt status. And 
Oh my God! <laughs> what a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, in a way, and and feel free to correct me, but um, there's obviously a bitter sweetness in your tone uh, when when we talk about some of the uh, the things that 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 you were there for during um, this time. Um, I know Genevieve had a really good question, and I'll let her ask. I guess. My question was, if it wasn't for um, David Miscavige's introduction to Scientology, and, and let's just presume, you know, um, L. Ron Hubbard were, were still to be alive today, do you think you'd still be in, in Scientology and believing what they're saying? And, you know, at its core, do you still feel that Scientology is, is something good? And that, you know, Miscavige simply ruined it. No, that's no longer my viewpoint. Mm -hmm. um, there, there is. See, if they were actually doing what they say they're doing, mm -hmm. it would be good. Mm -hmm. But they are not doing what they say they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's something altogether different. Their yeah. practice is completely different from what they put on their public face. And so, no, I don't think it is good because they're not actually doing what they say they're doing. Wow. So, but um, I guess I could like reword the question and say, if they were doing exactly what Scientology says they're meant to do, would you then be you know, willing to be part of this organization? Um, I don't think so. I mm. don't really think they're capable of reform. Okay. Wow. Even okay. if L. Ron Hubbard were still alive, mm -hmm. it would not be... They have too many violations. The people that are supposed to be um, delivering Scientology have no rights at all. Mm -hmm. or are like slaves. Yeah. They have horrible living conditions. Yeah. They, you know, I, I, I can't believe I was ever a part of that. They, they, they're, they're slaves. Mm -hmm. And they, they, I don't know, they're just asleep. I just wish they would wake up. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking about earlier about you being in isolation. And obviously in the HBO documentary, Going Clear, there's some very, very serious allegations of uh, people being kept in, in really, really bad conditions and subject to psychological abuse. I mean, that's all, the only way I can, I can word it um, is psychological abuse. And they point to the, uh, this big blue building and you're, you know, just a few hundred feet away from it. In the documentary, they say that it's in the seventh floor, which I, I think, to my calculations, is the is the top floor of this structure. They used to be a, a hospital back in the day. They bought it, painted it uh, sky blue, and put this this very uh, uh, the bright sign uh, on there. Was this where you were kept in isolation? No, this was at the Flag Land Base in Clearwater. Okay. Mm -hmm. The same. The same place that Lisa McPherson was. Oh wow! And with uh, you know, we we live in LA. Your your salon is located in Hollywood. Um, why does Scientology have so many 
you know, uh, extravagant properties. I mean, there, there's, there's a couple at least on Sunset or uh, on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, there's a celebrity center in Hollywood. There's the big blue building on Fountain. Uh, why, you know, Scientology is spending all this money on these huge, huge properties, not just in Southern California, but really worldwide. Uh, what is the purpose of these extravagant buildings? Well, I think they have to show that they are doing things to benefit their their people and putting up places to quote unquote worship mm-hmm. is supposedly um, following their religious mandate. But the fact is that there aren't any people in those buildings. They're just empty shells. There's no no there's no real purpose for those buildings except to um make a picture to paint the picture that they're expanding mm-hmm. and when they're actually shrinking they're they're saying oh we need all these new buildings because we have so many people that want to come and worship here mm-hmm. and it's just the opposite they their their membership is shrinking and they're putting up the buildings to provide a facade of um to make it look like they're expanding. You know, as as we said, obviously you 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 left the church. Uh, uh, what year did you leave the church? My last, the last thing I did was in two thousand and three. That's when I walked out of the ethics office and said, mm-hmm. "If uh, when somebody comes to handle me, I'll be in my shop." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and nobody ever. Came. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we read on the article that the reason was because they literally had you wait for several hours for at somebody to come. Well, yeah. at t- that was not just one occasion. On several occasions, yeah. they made you wait for hours and on end and yeah. they had nothing to say to you. So you eventually said, you know, let me know when you want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And they never got right. in touch yeah. with you. Right. Is that, to the best of your knowledge, is that like a tactic? Or were they like psychologically trying to mess with you, so to speak, by having you sit there for hours and hours? Was it their way of making you feel like you're not that important or something like that? I think it's partially that. Mm-hmm. I think it's also that they didn't really know what to say because mm. what had I done wrong? All I said was I thought that the thing was unnecessary. Right. You know? Yeah. And besides that, most of them knew me. I had cut the hair of most of those people. Wow. They used to come to my shop. Mm-hmm. They were my friends. Yeah. So, you know, I think they had a really hard time mm-hmm. trying to handle me because they didn't think I was a suppressive person. Mm-hmm. And you said when we were talking, you said that uh, if somebody is um, declared, I guess is the word, as a present person, they're giving the golden rod. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? A golden rod is uh, golden rod is the color of the paper that the ethics order comes out on. And then it has the title, Suppressive Person Declare, and then it runs down all of the offenses that this person has done in order to be declared suppressive. Now, in the ethics book, there Mm -hmm. are several dozen things that you have to do before you get to that step. 
you have to have hearings and you have to have committees of evidence and you have to have all these gradients of ethics before you ever get declared suppressive. Mm-hmm. And they never, they don't do that anymore. They just up and declare somebody suppressive. They don't have them a, give them a hearing. They don't, you know, they don't go over there. It's just by David Miscavige's whim. Mm-hmm. Things are not done by policy anymore. Um, it's just management by whim or hissy fit. Or, right. You know, he's having a bad day or a hangover from yeah. his scotch or whatever. If, if, if you don't mind, um, another quick question from the chat room. Um, you know, this general experience has changed your opinion on religion overall. And have you taken up any new ones, you know, new religions and beliefs, or has this experience ruined it all for you? No. It, well, I don't see how you give up your spiritual life if you think that you are basically a spiritual being. Yeah. There's always going to be something there. Um, whether it's going to be organized religion for me or some other thing, I I don't know. But um, if you just sit quietly by yourself, mm-hmm. you can, you know, you can get in touch with yeah, that kind yeah. of flow of the universe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a thing that that's there, and it's with everybody, no matter what religion they have. Um, it, it if it appeals to your that part of you, then you know. No, I don't think I'm anti-religious. Yeah. I don't think I'm an atheist. So you I, have your I focus. Think... You you already have your focus. It's just a matter of maybe directing or interpreting it, but you know what you believe in. That's that's what I feel. I actually I don't know what I believe in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I you're know you know you're spiritual. Is... You 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 have yeah. you're in touch with your with yourself and your beliefs. That's maybe yeah, I'm yeah, misinterpreting that's... you, but you're you're such a <laughs> calm and lovely person. I feel you. Know, you know what you want, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I think there is a spiritual existence. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, since I've been away from Scientology, I have gotten more in touch with that. One of the things that I think they do in Scientology is keep you so busy, mm-hmm. you don't have time to listen to yourself. Wow. And if you do start to listen to yourself, then that's some aberration that they have to run out in session. Mm-hmm. So, you know... If people just had a little time to sit and listen to themselves, they would see, mm-hmm. you know, that they ought to do something else besides what's going on over there. I, I, I guess that's, in a way, promoting a, a type of meditation and introspective, a spiritual introspective yeah. journey. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Um, Jennifer Wilcox says, thanks for that answer, exclamation mark. Um, uh, Lynn, when you, you know, after you left Scientologist, we, we, we talked earlier how your, um, uh, salon is, it's, it's, you know, a, a stone throw away from the, uh, big blue building of Scientology. What happened after you left? How did things change for you and your business? Oh, I lost half of my clientele. Um, 
a good half of them because instead of sending me the goldenrod saying I was declared suppressive, I think they did it by whispering campaign, like mm-hmm. telling people that I was no longer in good standing and they shouldn't go over there anymore and they shouldn't talk to me. And, and so they just stopped coming. Wow. Uh, and, and what are some of the, I know in the article there were mentions of, um, you know, some, oh, juvenile behavior is the best, best I can put it. Um, yes. If you could give it, give us examples of the, you know, the, the threatening behavior you experience from the, from the more extreme to the more trivial. Well, I think all of that, whether it's extreme or trivial, has to do with whether you're afraid of them or not. Mm-hmm. If you're afraid of them, anything they do is going to seem extreme. Right. Yeah. But if you just are not afraid, then anything they do just kind of rolls off of your back. The most recent thing they did last week or so was when I got to the shop, there was a pile of trash there as if somebody had emptied their wastebasket in front of my door. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that they're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Now, when we, um, uh, when we had the pleasure to, to visit you uh, at your shop, you told us that there was, um, obviously they're building us. I mean, there's tons of cameras everywhere, like hitting in trees and, and what have you. And you told us that they had a camera aimed down the street and they could see, you know, whoever walks into into your shop. Um, do you feel that that was done purposely after you left or was this something that they had in general? I mean, are they just that paranoid of anybody that walks within their uh, vicinity? I don't know. I don't know when they put that camera up. I just know that it's there. Mm-hmm. It used to be on one of the posts by that blue building, mm-hmm. but now it's up in the trees. Oh, wow. So, um, right now, I think they are making sure that nobody goes in there um, because they don't want anybody talking to me. Right. And um, one guy who uh, is a paralegal, he does research online, he said that there is an order out that they can't even look in my window because I have that sign there. Wow. <laughs> wow. And and is it true that the reason and it seems that you keep your front door locked even during business hours and you you only take you know haircuts by appointment and this is essentially because of Scientologists around you you have to keep your door locked. Mm-hmm just because of them. Yes, because they have come in there and they stole the sign that I used to have in the window. This is actually a replacement sign. Mm -hmm. Uh, They came in and and just took it. And uh, they also come in and do things like um, ask me questions about products. And, you know, especially when I'm working on somebody. If I'm working on somebody, I used to be able to count on the fact that somebody was going to come in and ask me a bunch of questions and then say, oh, thank you very much, and then leave without buying anything. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. You, what am I going to do? You can't call the police right. and stuff like that. Right. Or, or they would call up and they would make an appointment. Can I come in early Sunday morning? And I'd say, yeah. I'll be here early Sunday morning, and I would go specially for them early Sunday morning, and they would call me up 
as soon as I got to the shop and checked my messages, they would say, oh, I'm sorry, I had to pull an all-nighter last night. I can't come mm-hmm. after I had made a special trip. Oh, my. Coming early Sunday morning, you know, stuff like that. that... Just making your life difficult. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, <laughs> yes. it's annoying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really annoying, and uh, but you know but what? But like you said, it, it's not something you can report about, really. Right. No, right. but honestly, I, 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 I am really happy because to me it sounds like you're winning the fight because you're not letting them get to you. One of the things that you said that stuck with me when uh, we met up on, on Saturday was that, it, you know, you can't show that you're afraid. Yeah, because if you're afraid, then mm-hmm. you kind of pull that energy in on you. Mm-hmm. And you, you just can't. It's not good to be afraid. You just have to, I don't worry about what they might do because it's something that might never happen. If they, if something does happen, I'll just deal with it. You know, and that, and that honestly is very uh, inspiring because I, I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there that are going through a very similar situation where maybe they want to leave and, and they can't bring themselves to leave. What would you say to somebody that maybe is thinking about leaving the Church of Scientology? Um, everybody has their own situation. Mm-hmm. And really the only thing you can control is how you react to stuff. Some people can't leave because their kids are in the Sea Org. Mm-hmm. Some people can't leave because of all their family. They'd lose their family. Some wow. people would lose their jobs. They'd lose their businesses. They'd lose everything, mm-hmm. you know? And they would have to start all over. And some people think they're too old to, to have to start all over. Mm-hmm. So I really feel for them. I mean, wow. you know, everybody has to find their own way. And there's no way I can tell somebody who's in that they should get out because you nobody could have told me i just had to figure it out for myself so i, I get you that's yeah what people have to do wow i mean and honestly uh i want to thank you for your courage to uh, uh speak out on all of these things the term activist uh, applies to you and on your shop you have uh, signs on the windows directing people to websites and phone numbers um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What What are some of the, the resources out there for somebody that wants to get away from Scientology or learn more about some of the things that go on in Scientology? Uh, what are some of the websites and information that you have at your uh, shop? I have TonyOrtega.org. Mm-hmm. That's where uh, Scientology is widely discussed by a very diverse audience. Um, there's Mike Rinder's blog. Mm-hmm. Um there are other blogs, like I think there's one called Back in Calm, which is the South African um, blog, it, and it's for mostly for people who are still they're, they're, they want to be out of the church, but they still believe in L. Ron Hubbard. So there is a whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. Of, it depends on where you are, um, which one is going to resonate with you. Right now, I read Mike Rinder's blog, and I read Tony Ortega pretty much all okay. the time. I, when I first came out, I, I used to post on the Ex-Scientologist Forum. It's forum-exscn.net. So that's the one that I went to. People who were out way before me would go to xenu.net. Mm-hmm. That's the, the old guard. 
There are just lots of places. And then whywe-protest.net is the anonymous site. Mm-hmm. That's what gave me the courage to come out. And because I was out from mm-hmm. 2003 to 2008 before I ever posted anything on oh, Instagram. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even look for about four years. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, it's funny and, because when Anonymous came out, I was a bit cynical about him, but honestly, they've done a lot of good, and I'm not ashamed to say that I, <laughs> I retract what I said I about want Anonymous. To, I want to throw in one more quick point, in, um, and this has been mentioned online several times as well. So, um, you know, Elvron Hubbard wrote as an introduction um, that a truly suppressive person or organization and I quote, has no rights at all. They can be rightly tricked, lied to, or destroyed. And as an example, and maybe you have a comment on two on this, as an example of the danger that Scientology poses, um, Paulette Cooper, she's a journalist and she was declared a suppressive person. Um, s- Scientology or people within Scientology actually forged a bomb threat written in her name by Scientologists. And this was one of several different plots. Um, one of them was called Operation Freakout. And their aim was to commit Paulette, Paulette Cooper, to a mental institution. And this is how far they are willing to go to destroy someone and i i don't know if you have any comments on that or maybe stories that you've experienced or heard about yourself because i mean that's that's crazy yep it is crazy um i know that i used to be in the guardian's office temporarily back in the 70s Mm -hmm. um, before operation snow white started and uh, they do those things. They had they uh, one time had me go down to the IRS building and give out Freedom magazines and mm-hmm. and they there was they they do those things. They they uh, I never got deeply involved in the uh, the spy operation. I think I was too forthright for that. I was just not covert enough. Yeah. <laughs> so they had me do the stuff that they called PR. Okay. Yeah. And and do you did you ever see anyone? You know, people that you worked with or people that were your friends. Did you ever see anyone that felt guilty about what they were doing? You know, in the realization that maybe it's not right. No. Everyone. No believed strongly in what they were doing. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, Lynn, uh, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you? What's, what's uh, uh, your website? Oh, it's um, sheerperfection.com forward slash blog, which is where the most recent stuff is. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the older site is still up, but I haven't put anything on it recently. By the way, and I mm-hmm. I am a, a happy uh, customer. <laughs> if you're in the L.A. area, definitely 
um, you know, go to Lynn, visit her. She has a, a great shop. She's an excellent, excellent hairstylist. Honestly, one of the nicest, most warm people I've ever met. And I, you know, just reading the comments in the chat room, uh, she's so courageous and inspiring. Uh, she's awesome. Thank you for her honesty. I mean, uh, you great know. Great spirits. Yeah. Lots of quotations <laughs> from this chat. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Lynn, you're you're an amazing person, a wonder, uh, wonderful person. And definitely check out her website. Website, uh, sheer perfection. She will cater to your hairstyling needs, and believe me, I have really awful hair, right, Genevieve? I got like the worst hair in the world. It goes in all directions. <laughs> it literally does. And Lynn managed to tame it. So if you wanna, if, if you're in the LA area, stop by, get a cut, have a have a nice chat with uh, Lynn. She's an amazing person, and. I honestly, I have no words to to express how thankful I am for uh, uh, for having you on the show and taking the time to to tell us about all of these things, Lynn. Uh, hopefully, it's not the last time that we that we uh, get to talk to you. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank I'm glad, you. and uh, and have a great night. And I will let you know when we post the show, and feel free to to uh, share it with your friends, and uh, and we'll be uh, we'll be in touch. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Lynn. Have a great night. Good night, Lynn. Thank you. You too. Good night, Genevieve. Bye-bye. Wow. Genevieve, why don't you give me some final thoughts here? You know, my, I, I'm a sucker for, like, really nice people. You know, I'm always just like, oh, I need to meet, like, genuinely nice people. I'm always, like, so, like, smitten. Because you don't, honestly, you don't meet, like, just friendly, outright friendly right. people in your day-to-day -day life. And she's genuine, she's honest, and you ask her a question, she'll, she'll answer it. Yeah. She won't beat around the bush, she won't... None, none of that, none of that. You ask her, she answers, and she's honest, and she's nice. And that's all there is to her. And honestly, it's a very insightful interview, and I hope the people listening enjoyed it. And if you missed it, we will be, if you missed, you know, the, 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 the you know, any part of this interview, we'll be posting it on our website, wtrradio.com. Mm -hmm. So check out... Uh, the website in the next uh, day or two. We're also going to have the interview with it earlier today with um, uh, astronaut Doctor Story Musgrave, which was mind-blowingly fascinating. We talked to him about space travel, UFOs, um, NASA. Mm -hmm. I mean, you name it. We covered a lot. So if if you miss it, definitely check it out. It, it was a very exciting day here for us at West of the Rockies. I mean, Thanks. I'm I'm elated with everything, and I'm 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 happy to. Uh, to have uh, people listening to us, so yeah, I thank no, you. Thanks for people listening, and honesty in particular, Jennifer Wilcott and mm -hmm. Professor Madness for for pretty much asking half the questions for us. Pretty so. much, <laughs> I mean, they were excellent questions. And also, shout out to uh, uh, the uh, uh, Twitter account at Ethics of Freedom. Um, they asked us to uh, share with uh, our followers the uh, petition to revoke. Uh, Scientology's tax exempt status, and you bet we're gonna sign this thing. Just Google so, it; it's on petitions.whitehouse.whitehouse.gov. Yeah. But either way, just Google um, the uh, revoke Scientologist's mm -hmm. tax exemption. Yeah. So uh, also check out our uh, Twitter if you missed the link at WOTR Radio. 
Uh, we retweeted the link to that. I want to thank uh, the, the the person handling this account, Ethics of Freedom, for uh, sending us that link and, and some other interesting links. Uh, we really appreciate your uh, your uh, support. And again, thanks to Lynn. She was amazing. And uh, yeah, we're going to be posting some pictures that we took while we were with Lynn, along with this uh, podcast on our website. As always, I'm Engineer Frank on Twitter. Wes Silverakis on Facebook, Genevieve Uway on Twitter. Thank you all for sticking around. Uh, it's It's been amazing. Uh, anyways, take care. Be safe. God bless. Don't do anything too crazy. Check out our website, WTRradio.com. Like us on Facebook, Facebook facebook.com <laughs> forward slash West of the Rockies. And uh, give us a follow, WTR Radio on Twitter. Thanks again to Lynn Campbell. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Genevieve. Thank you, Frank. Enjoy this jam. <laughs> It'll put you in the mood to go to bed, I hope. If not, it'll put you in the mood to dance, which is equally as good. <laughs> Here we go. Independent FM. New York. London. Philadelphia. Japan. Chicago. Paris. San Francisco. Tijuana. Los Angeles, California. The Independent FM. Indie Radio. Live from Swing House Studios in Hollywood. This is the all-new Independent FM.